Hi everybody, this is Graham Cole, probably better known as PC Tony Stamp. Sierra Oscar from 595, pay attention out there. <laughs> My huge thanks to Graham for recording that intro as one Sunhill hero introduces another. Welcome back to part two of our interview with the legendary Eamon Walker. chatting about Oz, Othello, but first we've got some unfinished business in 1989. By your second series, because you did two series, and then uh, they give you uh, Silver Lining, which is uh, uh, where you and Mark Powley find this Rolls Royce. Mark Powley. What a handsome man that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it still is, yeah. And still, yeah, yeah. They've established you now, and and you get to have some real fun. Like you go into this job center and say, "Is anyone here own a Rolls Royce?" And of course, they all they all start laughing. Like who who in here would have a Rolls Royce? And then you say, "So you want to play games, do you?" Well, here's one you'll all like. It's called a day at the Nick. Wow! <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow! <laughs> and then you eventually get the keys and you drive it over Tower Bridge and you're listening to classical music and you just gently toss your cap off and just chilling, cruising. I remember that. I remember (laughs) the drive. Yes. I've never been in a car like that before. I really did enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. You and Nick both left at around the same time. Did you both make a, like, a joint decision to leave? Yeah, that was one of those car park meetings. <laughs> we were like, okay, that's a lot of episodes, and uh, we were exhausted, the truth be known. Uh, I don't think anybody had shot so many episodes. I, I know that EastEnders took it on board for a minute and started doing that many episodes a week, but at the time, we were the only ones doing it, and it was like, you know, the, the, we had no life. You'd literally wake up, go to work, go to sleep, wake up and go to work. And uh, Nick, in particular, who liked to travel the world, you know, had just come back when he started from being somewhere exciting in the world and was going, this is, this to be stuck in Bowlby Road, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, was driving him nuts. And he opened my eyes, actually, to, you know, to travel and, and the world and what it was and and it's like, yeah, we need to create the opportunity so that other things can happen. So we both made that decision. Which was a very brave decision because I'm guessing they would not wanted you to have gone because you were both nah. doing such fantastic work. No, they didn't. They didn't want us to go. But, you know, I guess, yet again, I say ignorance is bliss and we had the arrogance of youth. And so we had the, the big ideas of, about the world we want to be in and the type of actors we wanted to be and because I'd already done it within sickness and in health striving for something else I guess it was easier for me to do although I didn't want to do it because I loved the people I was working with but I I knew that I I had there was a light at the end of my tunnel very dim but I didn't know where it was going to lead but I knew that if I just stayed I wasn't going to get there and I spoke about it with everybody I was working with Nick was obviously the first one, but I spoke with Barbara and Lula and Trudy. I spoke with everybody, and everybody was like, well, you know, if you feel strong enough, then you've got to go do what you've got to do. And and I guess in that now I can look back and go, yeah, it was pretty brave. What was I doing walking away from such a, 
an amazing show at that time. But as I say, ignorance is bliss. Well, they gave you two brilliant episodes. Uh, the first for you is is the it's called Pick Up by John Milne, and it's the, the fallout after after Nick's been shot, and you've got to go and pick up his bloodstained uniform. Yeah, a terrific scene where you pull a man over. He's he's been driving like a prat. You've said, and when he insults you, you drag him out of his car <laughs> and just hurl him up. And you've got this sort of crazed look. You're you're smiling at him while, while you've you've picked him up like a doll, basically. And wow. and Nula's trying to break you up. You know, uh, another fantastic scene with the late great Kevin Lloyd. You, Tosh has inadvertently caused Ramsey to get shot, and you have this scene where he he tries to say, "Oh, I'm just off for a cup of tea," and you say, "It's all you're good for, lines, drinking tea and stuffing your fat face with biscuits." <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eric Richard, has to, you, you, have a, you have a couple of moments where people have to stop you from doing some serious damage yeah. in that episode. Yeah, he's missing his mate. Yeah, it's great because that was the first time. That was the first time any of the regular cast had, had been gunned down or anything like that. And uh, it's great that they gave you that yeah. moment. And then... They arguably say that your best episode to last, your episode uh, is called Pressure by Kevin Clark. Yeah. Barbara and you have a great scene where she wants to put you on the promotion ladder and and you have a, a great moment where you say, of course, I'm interested, but you say, off the record, straight up, right? And you say, as you know, I won't be a token black face, even for stripes. Oh, and it's that oh, great oh. sort of like, my wife watched that and she cheered. It's a great exit storyline. After the ad break, they give you the entire second half of that episode, and it's all outside of a station. You have some lovely scenes with Joseph Marcel. Joseph Marcel, he was doing uh, Prince of Bel-Air at the time, yeah. No, I remember that. That episode I remember. The goodbye one I remember, because I was feeling it. I was really quite upset. I'm very, very unsure about what I was... I had nothing to walk into. I just knew that I couldn't sign up for another year, and I had to kind of follow my my intuition if you like but I, I had the support as you say of my cast and crew and the writer we all knew each other really well by then and so they did me proud and uh they did me proud in the writing they did me proud when when we were leaving i mean it was yeah i just make it i can remember it now it was it, it, they, they jolted my heart they really, really all touched my heart. You, you don't know the effect you have on people until a moment like that. And they wished me the best. And it was, uh, yeah, they did me really, really proud. It's very prophetic, your last line as Haynes. You have two horrible racist cops pull you over and search you. And then they find your warrant card and they open it up. And they say, sergeant's exam, eh? Going up in the world. And you say, all the way, son. All the way. <laughs> you also beautifully timed. You snatch your warrant card exactly as when the drum beat kicks in for the credits. You leave a little pause and then snatch your warrant card back. And in acting terms, I mean, you. I know it's easy from the outside people looking in, but you really have gone all the way. You you made it to America. You know that that dream that obviously took. You know, you you got the role of Karim Saeed in yes. Oz. Oh right, yeah. You won awards, and but I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing what must have been a hell of a lot of hard work and graft and insecurity of like a decade. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's a lot of fear, but that same thing that that put that within 
and I will tell everybody that's got that, that voice inside that's going, no, this isn't it. You've got to push further. Well, you can, because you can when you're young, when you, you know, you know, I had my family and my kids and all the rest of it. And so, you know, if, if it, that makes the decision harder. That's where the real dilemma was. It's like, I'm an actor. <laughs> there are no guarantees. How much can you push uh, versus how much can you pay your rent? <laughs> so, and, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen. And I ended up with a, a starting a theatre company above a pub in Labrick Grove and then with Dorley Rosen and we did that still trying to create things of the parts I would like to do then Linda LaPlante came along with the governor and she championed me and supply and demand and that you know we just trying to do the best work whatever and then one day she called up and she said Amen what are you doing I was like I'm sitting there having watched supply and demand go out last night wondering how it's being received because while while we were shooting supply and demand, we had no idea. She said, "I've got two two leads. You can play either one of them, and pick." And I was, you know, we did it, and uh, didn't know how it was going to be received. And she said, "Okay, you're going to New York. You're going to go and meet my friend Tom Fontana. I've worked with him. We've written together. He's got something he wants you to do. I'm going to fax you because faxes were around then. The fax you decide." And I was like, "Okay." And the next, not the next day, the day after that, I went to New York, met Tom Fontana, and he was doing ours. Wow. Didn't expect to get it. it was, and the first, the thing I read for, I didn't get. He was like, look, I feel bullied into this meeting because Linda's a friend and she bullied me. I know you were bullied here to arrive 24 hours after I had a conversation with her about looking for a character, and she said, you could play it. So let's just do the audition, and then we can say we've done it, and we can all move on. I was like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> And what happened was he, t he phoned me up a couple of days later. I was having a little holiday in New York. He was like, okay, so that's not going to work out. I was like, great, fantastic. I'll do two more days in New York. I'll go back. He's going, but if we get picked up, HBO is a whole new thing. Nobody's ever done this before. It's their first drama. If they pick us up, I'm going to write, write you a role. And I went, there's no need to say that, mate. You know, I had a nice time. We, we can both tell Linda that <laughs> we did it. And she, he was like, you have no idea who I am, do you? I could have 50 people phone you up and tell you it's not working out, but I'm fine enough to tell you that your work was impeccable. It's just not going to work for that role. You're not right for that role, but I like your acting, and I'm going to write your role. And I was like, uh, okay. Wow. And it was actually four months later. He said, okay, so you've got you've got to come across and do your thing again. I was like, what? He said, no, I've written a role. I'm going to send it to you by fax. Uh, you study it. You come in. You're going to be here in two days. And the difference being is you're not doing it for me anymore. I said, who am I doing it for? He said, you have to do it for the HBO execs. And I said, okay. He said, so just come along and do it. So when I did eventually end up in New York, I was like, hey, Tom. He didn't say anything to me. And I looked up, and there's about 28 execs in the room watching me for the audition. Wow. Because that's how they do that over there. And I'd never, I'd never come across anything like that before. And I was like, okay. And then the director... Darnell Martin, who directed the first episode of ours, turned around and she said, so who are you, who are you then in your English and why are you here? Which, for some strange reason, got under my skin. That <laughs> made me quite annoyed. <laughs> and so uh, read the role with her and everything else and, and forgot about, for whatever reason, that, that being annoyed at her made me forget the 28 other people execs in the room. And we got, she went at it because she was quite a good actress too. 
we both went at it, and by the time we'd finished and we were looking at each other in the eye, like, wow. We got past the point where we were acting, didn't we? That's the look that we're giving each other. And then the execs start to applaud. I was like, oh, God, yeah, I'm an audition. And Tom was looking at me and smiling. And, and I was like, okay, that's it. Leave now. I said, uh, okay. And left the room. And half an hour later, they were like, okay, you got to go back up to the HBO offices and put yourself on tape for the guys in L.A. because that happened in New York. And then, lo and behold, I'm in New York. I've got a job doing the show of Oz, which, again, changed my whole perspective on, on, on everything. So, you know, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in between from the bill, and there was all sorts of shows that I did visiting stuff on. One of my favorites was One Foot in the Old Guard. I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was doing stuff like that, but, but while pushing towards thing I didn't know and then I was going along so yeah no, it's, been a, it's been a long old journey mate <laughs> and the claim on the big screen I'm talking to Howling Wolf yeah and that must be a different kind of pressure when you're playing a real person you're, you're you know you're, you're playing someone who has their own legacy I mean you're bringing that person to life on the big screen <laughs> yeah it was a real pressure my surrogate father John Eichler who used to run the open anchor was a Howling Wolf fan <laughs> and so I went to him and I was like, John, 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 they've asked me to play Howling Wolf. And he just turned around to me and went, why? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and he turned around and he said, well, don't f*** it up. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. <laughs> so I really, I've loved him. Why you? I don't, I don't know, but I, I promise you I won't. I'll, I'll study, I'll do everything really. And, and, uh, you know, it was the best thing that could have happened to me, him being like that, because he didn't turn around and go, oh, go, great, you know, and do the things that most normal people do. He was straight away, so I'm a fan of that man. And I was like, I promise you I will do my best. I really studied hard. And, you know, I wasn't worried about any Americans or any blues fans or any of that. I was worried about John Eichler. <laughs> I messed up his hero or not. <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a fantastic thing. But the... The weird thing about that was, yet again, I'm sitting in my house in London, and guess who I got the phone call from to go and play Howling Wolf? It was Darnell Martin who did the first episode of ours. No way. She was like, Eamon, you're perfect for the guy. You can do it. And I'm like, really? And I was like, well, um, whatever was going on in my life at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to leave England at that moment. And she was like, well, I'll just tell you who's in it. And I went, who's in it? (laughs) And I'm just going to start with someone you and I have spoken about, Jeffrey Wright, and I went, oh, oh, okay, yes, I love him, and uh, yes, I know I said I wanted to work with him, so there's another name, <laughs> and I'm saying, what's that? Beyonce, I was like, okay, can't <laughs> <laughs> be throwing names around like that. <laughs> I was listing off the people you've worked with on, on cinema, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, Nicolas Cage, and like, you hold your own with all of these people, you know? It's fantastic. Oh, thank you, mate. That's uh, that's really sweet of you. You must be proud of yourself, I hope, because, you know, you've done fantastic work. I mean, I'm I'm proud of you, like, for you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's... Thank you, mate. I got the bill on DVD and then this podcast just snowballs and like, you know, you naturally sit there and watch and think, oh, I would love to interview that person and that person. And so 
I must ask you about this before we finish up because talk about a place in the history books. You have a, a wonderful slice of history at the Globe Theatre. Ah, yeah. That's massive, 400 years. <laughs> yeah, to be the first black man to play on Shakespeare's Globe to play Othello. Yeah, because everybody else said to, uh, was a white actor blacking up. I know. I mean, who knew by that time that it hadn't been done already? That wasn't me. I had no clue that it hadn't been done. I just knew that I wanted to do Othello. And I'd seen Mark Rylance on a BBC Two live special doing, I think it was Richard, I can't remember which Richard it was. And I was I had friends at my house. And, and it started, and I was intrigued, and I was kind of standing up, looking at the television. And I saw Mark Rylance come and do his thing, and I saw that magnificent theater. And it was, and I was like, I would love to play there. Yeah. You know, you just put these things out. You have no idea how or when it's going to come about, or if it can't come about. And so when the opportunity came to play on the stage, is because I knew I'd, I, I think it, by that point, I'd gone eight, nine years without doing any theatre. And for me, theatre was, that's the start of everything. The boards, treading the boards. And it's like a lifeblood. You have to get fed. So I needed to do it. But it had to be the right role. And then they said Othello. And because I'd done the um, London Weekend television film version of Othello, modernised version of it, I think it was Andrew Rice who did House of Cards. I was like, okay, I can take this on now. Me and the agents, we all spoke about it, and it was like, okay, let's let's go. And all the stuff that was coming from America at that time, we were like, we're not doing that. We're going to concentrate on a play because it's you do a play at, at, at the Globe. It's for the year, you know. You take you're turning everything else now, and uh, I knew I needed to learn that to be on that stage. And and Mark Rylance was the person I was looking up to in my head of of how to be on that stage and the Globe. It was a fantastic place to play mm. and play being the operative word. Um, and the whole system that they have there is it so enables the actor to be the best that they can be. They, the, the research department, the dance department, the move department, the history department, the voice department, all helping you to be the best you can be on that stage and teaching you to work you know, because it's not a proscenium, it's, you know, it's a weird kind of, it's almost in the round, but it's not quite the round. It's such a weird space, but at the same time, a brilliant space, and you have to learn how to work it, and they teach you. Wow. And one of the best moments of my life, one of the proudest moments of my life, I had all my children come and watch the play, and trust me, they didn't all like Shakespeare at the time. I was like, this opportunity doesn't come along very often. No. You're coming. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I was, I'm very proud of it. Are there any unfulfilled ambitions, anything you would like to do, or doesn't it work like that? I guess, you know, you, you set up these dreams, you know, when you're young, actually, I'd like to do. I, and, and how it starts is I'd like to work with or I'd like to work at that place. Mm. And so, of course, you know, my first West End moment, Barnaby and the Old Boys, I, was, I became seven years old after the opening night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that was something you know, you, I was jumping up and down like a big kid. <laughs> and Jill Gascoigne, I don't know if you remember Jill Gascoigne. Yes, gentle touch. She, she was in the play, and she she looked at me like, 
what is wrong with you? I was like, I never, ever thought I'd ever be in a position to do this. I just burst into tears. Uh-huh. And so all all of these moments, you know, like the Broadway moment with Denzel and, and meeting Sidney Poitier and, you know, it was so many people in that audience. The list is so long. Get, getting flowers from Aretha Franklin, you know, oh, and stuff wow. like that. You go, you can't dream those moments up. No. You know? And so, yeah, mate, I've, I've had a... If, if I start looking back, I go, okay, am I about to get the lifestyle achievement? What I'm not yeah, done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not done. I'm, for me, I still, inside, I still feel like a, a kid, a young actor. I know I'm not young, but inside, I, I still feel like I've, there's so much to learn. You never, ever feel like, oh, I've done this. You're like, oh, there are days I still wake up and go, I don't know, if, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do the scene. You know, that, that happens to me almost every day. You never come away going, yeah, no, I'm on top of this. It's all these people that, you know, I remember sitting there in a read-through when we were doing uh, Julius Caesar, and they said, okay, I mean, you sit next to Denzel, and my heart was Aww. almost out of my shirt. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what, 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 what do you mean I've got to sit next to him as well, on top of everything else? <laughs> <laughs> People just look at you like you're nuts, and it's like, no, it's a very real feeling. Do you know who this man is? And they're like, yeah, we know. And I'm like, you're making me sit next to him. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the end of the read through, I've calmed down, you know. So a big part of me is like, I'm a big kid. I'm a big kid. <laughs> There'll be uh, Chicago Fire. Are you going back to do season seven? Yeah, literally, yes. Season seven hasn't been announced yet in the States. So all arrows are, are pointing in that direction. You know, we're going to go back and finish the second half of season six, which I think season six has just started in, in England. And so uh, going back to the winter, the minus 25 Ooh. winter. Yeah, it can get up to that. So, Do your family come out and visit you there or do you? They do. Yeah, my family visit me wherever I'm at. So fortunately, having worked all over the world, they've been to most of them. So Africa, the Caribbean, you know, America, because you've got to come and visit them. Yeah. Just got to. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't come home enough. So you don't uh, come home. I mean, you've got so much knowledge of that program now. Have you ever thought about writing an episode or directing an episode? Uh, uh, well, I've, uh, not, not maybe an episode of that because... I don't know if that's on the cards, but certainly, you know, I've been writing with my writing partner, Ralph Brown, and and looking in other areas now other than just acting. So that's, I guess that time has come. (laughs) We'll see if anything gets produced and and stuff like that. So I interviewed Ralph as well. What a legend. He's a good man, isn't he? He's a good guy. You all are, you all are. Well, I think it's, we're, we're just a generation, you know, things are different now. I've, I've clocked it, you know, but that particular generation uh, and the heart of that generation where film and television was, we are a product of that. So I, I, I can see where it's at now. Um, it's just all of the people that came through that, so many good people. And, and you know, we're starting to lose some of them. You know, Larrington Walker left us the other day, uh, who's a, an actor that he, you won't, necessarily know but the, all the actors especially all the black actors in london and in england they'll know who larrington walker is and i'm just going to say on your podcast that god bless you r.i.p larrington you you were one of the good guys and you and you helped everybody you helped every young actor come through and you, and you paved the way and you know stuff like that so 
Yeah, you make me feel old, mate. Thanks. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's been a sincere pleasure looking at your work, discovering new work, and revisiting your brilliant work of a bill. I mean, be proud. You did a fantastic I'm job. I'm very proud. I'm very, very proud, and of everybody in it. And and I'm I'm very grateful for the for the send off that they gave me because they, you know. You, I, it's all right that the, the young actor turns around and says, "I want to go and do this thing." That happens every day. Yeah. But I had what those actors are on the bill gave me was belief that I could, and they don't know necessarily how they did it. But each one individually turned around and went, "Come on, in. you can do it." And I'm very grateful to them for that. Well, uh, you've very generously given your time for free, and we we ask listeners to donate to a charity of the interviewee's choice. So, is is there a charity you'd like to nominate? Yeah, I want people to donate to SAFE because, uh, you know, that's where I put my money. And SAFE is doing amazing work trying to get rid of bad thinking in that country towards people who get AIDS. Mm. And that not only do the AIDS hospitals need help, the work that Nick is doing over there in spreading the word of not reacting terribly to somebody who you know has got it because the ostracizing with someone because they have it is is as harmful as having it and and people die lonely and 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 nobody should die like that and plus the work he's doing with female circumcision and trying to end it i know he's made inroads in that country of changing people's minds as maybe it's a thing not to do to young females yeah. and so please money to safe kenya I'll pop a link at the end. All that remains is for me. Uh, well, I think when I announce this, it's going to break the internet. There's going to be a lot of very happy Bill fans uh, all over the world. And uh, I, all I can say is I am so grateful to you, Eamon, and thank you so much. No, man. Just keep making magic. You're a talented man, and it's a pleasure to watch you. And, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk oh, to you. Oh, thank you. I'm really grateful. Thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm really grateful that you put this together because, you know, all the people that you're talking to from this show, good, good people. Yeah. And it, it was a special time. So thank you, mate. Oh, it's a pleasure. You're a lovely man. Thank oh, you very much. That's so, incredibly kind. And uh, thank you for watching and, and doing all your homework. And Because a lot of interviewers don't do their homework, you know, because they, if I wrote for them, then I can tell that you did all your homework. You surprised me. So thank you. <laughs> Massive thanks to Eamon for not only being a fantastic interviewee, but such a warm and kind human being. Making the podcast is a thrill for me, and interviewing these people is an honour, but it's always an extra special when you get acknowledgement from your heroes that you've done your homework. That's what I aim for, and um, it's a very nice feeling, so thank you, Eamon, uh, for being such a gent. A big thanks also to Nick Redding for kindly putting a word in with Eamon and uh, it's well worth another mention for safe because right now as we're listening to this Nick Redding is out there making a difference and uh, not only does that take his hard work and determination but also the support from people who are in a position to donate so if you're able to support Safe Kenya please visit safekenya.org where you can find out more about Nick's amazing work with SAFE and you can make a donation to support. 
And I'd like to thank all of you who have kindly donated to the charities that have been featured so far in the podcast. I do this out of love, the actors do it out of kindness, and I've received some lovely private messages from those of you on Facebook and Twitter and Digital Spy uh, to let me know about the donations you've made to the charities. And I can't understate how much of a thrill that is for me, the fact that some of you very quietly but very generously make donations to these charities is is really cool so my respect and my thanks to you and I know the actors are thrilled when I report it back uh, to them as well so thank you for supporting the charities and what a legend we have coming up next the man who started it all wooden top was his story he took centre stage in the bill for over two decades and is still one of this country's finest actors working today. So get ready for a two-part special, as I say. Right, Crocker, let's do it. Next time on The Bill Podcast. You're in a show that long, you want to make it interesting to yourself. You want to, yeah. you want to keep on top of it. You, know, you, you, you try your best. It's, uh, I can't say lots of actors, but some actors um, just sleepwalk through things. You know, it's just, you know, but then there was, there was a conviction, there was a feeling around at the time, is that you give 100 percent to it. Everybody, everyone on that show gave 100 percent to it. Everyone did the best they could at the time under the, you know, under the circumstances, because that that's what makes the work good, and that's about being the conviction of being with a good a good cast, a, a good troupe of actors, mm. and that that's about being you know having an, a, 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 a egalitarianism about it, and, and just 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 getting on and doing the job really. I mean, that, that feeling on the bill was probably unique. You know, I've worked on other TV productions and, yeah, the great cast and things, but I think because of my longevity on the bill, it was special, wasn't it?